0: In verses 14 to 30. So Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. Where we're told. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of, covering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the, all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Amen. And this-
1: Thank you for inviting me. It's lovely to be here and to share in fellowship with you again. Uh, greetings from everyone at Trinity. Um, and uh, again, it's lovely just to be able to come and share God's word with God's people on the Lord's Day. It's always a privilege to be able to do that. Um, and so we pray that God will bless this word that we've just had read for us um, from Luke's gospel uh, for us this evening. Um, now, uh, yesterday uh, was a very special day for me. Um, I've been on Liverpool Football Club's season ticket waiting list for about 30 years, and I finally got one this year, <laughs> just, before, just before I die. And so now I can't afford it, I've got one, you know. So I, we kind of said, I said to said to Dream, my wife, I said, it, uh, uh, well, even if it's just for one year, I've got to have one and we'll sh- I will share it out to different people. So I went for the first time. And it reminded me of this, <laughs> weirdly, it reminded me of this talk I'm gonna bring to, we're gonna have tonight from the scriptures, because the title I've given it to it is. It was, I was thinking of football and transfers and all the stuff like that. And dear old Harry Kane has finally left his dear old hometown club and gone away, you know, to Germany. And there's a song about him, and what what the Spurs fans used to sing about him, he's one of our own, Harry Kane. And they're very proud of the fact that he's one of our own. And that's the title I've kind of given to this, because Jesus goes back home, and they were all quite excited to meet Jesus and see him again, because he's grown up now and he's, you know, he's come back to his hometown. And they could have sung about him, he's one of our own, but then they could have added at the end, or, or really is he? Because we don't really know what we've got. Once they got to the end of what we've said today, they were ready to throw him off a cliff. And um, so, what's going on here? What happens? What was, what was the, uh, the basis of all of that? And um, just to give a bit of context, we're talking about Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel, the doctor, Dr. Luke. Uh, who was making a very meticulous examination of the details about who Jesus was in order, if you read back in chapter one of Luke's gospel, for his a friend or a, a somebody he knew called Theophilus, Uh, a Greek official, perhaps even a Roman official. We don't really know who he was, but he was certainly somebody who was high up and and seemingly had become, uh, uh, wanted to believe in Jesus or maybe had started to believe in Jesus again and wanted to follow him. But he wanted Luke, his friend, who's this doctor, to go and examine the situation and find out for him if all this stuff that I'm hearing about Jesus, is it true? Is it real? And so Luke writes his gospel, doesn't he? An orderly account, he calls it which he would be if he was a doctor. The only problem is nobody could read it because a doctor's right and you can never read. Is that right? But no, uh, he wrote this orderly account and it, it, it took in the whole of the Gospel of Luke, which was the story of Jesus until his re- uh, resurrection, ascension into glory. And then, well, the, the ascension actually comes in the, in the book of Acts, in the first chapter of Acts. And Luke wrote the whole of Acts, doesn't he? This two-part history of the church and and, well Jesus and the gospel and what happened and how the gospel was unstoppable and went throughout the world and so Luke's wrote this great account lots of words that Luke wrote for us in the New Testament and non least this chapter that we've read tonight so this is part of that it's just the sort of the breaking out of Jesus into ministry we've already had of course his account of the birth of Jesus which we read every Christmas, Luke chapter two and, and that, the genealogy a little bit before that, the announcement of the birth, the birth itself, then Jesus being baptised and, and uh, the, the picture there, Luke goes into all the details of that. And then calls some disciples, calls some followers and they come and follow him. Again, wonderful little stories there of, of how Jesus just goes and talks to people. His, his encounters with Peter and uh, you know, Simon Peter who we all come to know and love. And then in the first part, first 13 verses of chapter four, we read about, uh, and and Jesus has healed people and he's done some tremendous things. And then in the first part of chapter four, we read about Jesus being sent into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And at this point, he's just returned from the wilderness and he's ready to begin his ministry. So that's kind of a very potted history of the first four chapters or first three and a bit chapters of Luke. And he goes back to Nazareth. He goes back to his hometown and we know from what we've read that he knew very well a prophet isn't normally welcome in his hometown. It's more difficult to go there than anywhere else. It's kind of a saying, isn't it, that we would have as well. It's a backwater town, so a place to start your ministry if you're gonna be the son of God who's come to earth and, and preach the good news and bring in a new kingdom and a new rule and reign from heaven. If he's gonna do that, you think he'd go to Jerusalem or somewhere, no, he goes back to his hometown, this backwater town in the north of Israel, Palestine, Uh, uh, Nazareth and he goes back there the local boy returns home and they've all heard about him they've all done good so the the synagogue on that particular Saturday Lord that that particular Sabbath is absolutely packed imagine the buzz that there must have been he's done really well hasn't he have heard about the miracles he's done here? He heard about what he's done here? As you he heard about what he said to those people? And he's got some disciples together and, and all this type of thing. And, of course, we read some of that in this passage. Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this Joseph's lad? Is this is the one we used to know who was kind of the one who kicked around the streets here, played with our kids. They've all grown up too. And he's come back. And they, I think they see Jesus as some sort of amazing rabbi, teacher, who's been taught well. And so they're proud of him because of that. And that's the Jesus who they're expecting to meet, isn't it? Someone who's done well, who's learnt well, who's able to handle the Word of God, and who's there's some other stuff that's surrounding him they're not quite sure about, but they do know this is Jesus, and they're really looking forward to hearing him and seeing him on the Sabbath day. He's one of our own, isn't he? He's become a celebrity, if you like. Um, they've all heard about him. People are coming and crowded in to see. They're curious about what this guy is going to say. What's he going to be like now? How's he changed? What's happened to him in these different, in these years? So what sort of Jesus do they find is the question really we're going to think about tonight. Is he really just one of their own? Is he the Jesus that they wanted him to be or is he something different? Well, first of all, we see Jesus, the preacher. uh, He goes into, he goes, he's a spirit-filled preacher going into church, as it were, on the Sabbath day. And we see the, the role of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' ministry, just a sort of an aside, but it's really important about how Jesus prepared for his ministry and amongst other things, the baptism and everything else. But if you notice, if you go back to verse 1 of chapter 14, we read, we read you read there that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is God's doing. God has led his Son into a wilderness experience to be tried and tested in a troubling time of hunger and thirst and everything else by his opponent, Satan. And he goes into that, and we read about that, of course, don't we, the different temptations and things. But I'm really interested in the fact that God led Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, into the wilderness. And how that prepares him, because you read then in chapter 14, uh, sorry, chapter 4 and verse 14, that he comes out of that experience, what's it say, in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think there's something in that. That when Jesus goes in, he's full of the Holy Spirit. God's uh, set, you know, if you like, he's took our experience on. We see the Holy Spirit coming on him in his baptism, uh, and, and how, you know, he, it's a picture of how God works in our lives as we come to know him. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. But, but we, we, I, and I think when, when all of us become a Christian, sometimes, even though people may tell us the truth about the life and everything outside, often we think, we feel so great. It feels so, what, I don't want you to remember the time when you were saved, but it feels so overwhelmingly wonderful. We think we're gonna, you know, we're on the victory side. Everything's gonna be great. And then very soon we find that it's not always great. And we just sung that hymn there, didn't we? About the trials and things that Christians come through. Amazingly, sometimes God leads us into those trials. And we need to understand that, that there's nothing outside of the scope of a sovereign God, is there? And we, we, we really need to understand that it's God whose hand is behind all things. And we all need, and th- when going through fiery travels, a really robust doctrine of the sovereignty of God. So that when we're going through there, we have to, in the darkest of times, we're saying to ourselves, what do we know about God? In this situation. What do I know about what he said in his word. In this situation. And do what Jesus did. And quote it to ourselves or to whoever's around us. And that's what Jesus did didn't he. Use the word that his, that his father had given him. Man shall not live by bread alone. And you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And all those things. He's remembering what God has said to him. In the light. In the darkness of the wilderness. And in the process of that testing. And that trial. We see the purpose of it. He comes out not in just full of the Spirit, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's proved God, if you like, in that sense. Now, I know know, Jesus taking on our humanity didn't have to do any of that, but it's a great example for us, isn't it? In that sense, as he took on our humanity, he bore the same sorrows as us and the same pressures as us and the same temptations, just as anyone else, yet without sin, of course, we know that. But it's the way Jesus shows us how we're supposed to deal with that. But he also shows us in this narrative, Luke shows us the reason why that happened because Jesus was it, comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. I love Psalm 40. It's one of my favorite psalms. Uh, I waited patiently upon the Lord because he's in the pit. He inclined and heard, heard my cry. He comes into the miry clay into the pit where he is and God comes in there with him and he lifts me up out of the pit and sets my, makes my footsteps firm. And why does that happen? because he wants to give me a new song to sing in my heart, a song of how God has blessed me and and helped me through the difficult times and a testimony to give. We can go way back in the Old Testament. Why did the children of Israel take so long to get to the promised land? So they have a story to tell to the nations, just like you and I do. There's there's a purpose in all of these trials, isn't it? And we see here, and ultimately, the psalmist goes on in Psalm 40 to say, so that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. It's a tremendous witness as we go through all of those things as well. And here's Jesus, in a sense, doing the same thing. Goes through that, comes out in the power of the Spirit, uh, proved in the quiet place, in the dark place, where the strength that we will need in the light will come from. And it comes from his Father in heaven and in his Word spoken into his heart. In temptation, he's equipped for his ministry. Now, we would all love to be ministers of the gospel, don't we? We all love to be uh, able to preach a gospel and a word about Jesus and tell people the good news, the, the story of our gospel, uh, uh, of the gospel and what we, how God saved us, and, and give our testimony. God uses all of these things and sometimes leads us there as well, so that He can use us for His glory, and we can be in the power of His Holy Spirit as we come through the other side of these. I don't know, that might be a word for some people here tonight, but there's a purpose in every trial as we've just been singing. We can sing about it, but we need to own this, folks. We need to own the the, the sovereignty of God and see it for what it is because there will be severe temptations and trials that will come. And at that point, we need to stand firm. Stand firm in his word, just as Jesus did here. And then Jesus comes out of that situation and he goes to church, uh, if you like. This, this, uh, what God's purpose is that his, his people gather together. Jesus goes to his hometown synagogue on a Sabbath day as was his custom. Nothing wrong with a good habit of going to church. Even if that church is dead and is preaching, you know, uh, is, is the preaching's not as lively as it perhaps could be and all the rest of it, but providing the preaching God's word to us, we need to be there. We need to be there to support and to grow and to pray and to, to, to have fellowship with one another and a good custom to have. Jesus goes to this synagogue where he's going to hear the same things that he's heard so often before, but because he's there, because Christ is in their midst, all of a sudden, everything we've ever heard before is transformed. There's a lesson for us in there as well. Who's been exalted in our churches? Who are we really looking to, to minister to us on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening? Who are we looking to as our guide and our helper? Who's been exalted here? If it's Christ, then he can transform everything, as he does here in this synagogue, isn't he? They come and gather to hear the word. Oh, sorry, sorry, it's a blinds, that's okay. I thought it was me. <laughs> they've come to hear the words and they've come to, as, we sh- as they should to, to respond. I mean, the way they should respond is in worship and, uh, and discipleship and growth, isn't it? So Jesus goes as his custom and he goes to give something. They're expecting him to do that, of course, because he stood up ready to preach ready to, to speak but of course the way they would do it would be very different the different people would stand up and speak and Jesus obviously being the one who's come in and he's, everyone's there's a kind of hush comes over the building as Jesus stands up and they uh, can imagine that and then he's handed a scroll, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet so Jesus has not come to be a consumer in church he's not just come to kind of listen to everybody else and judge them he's come to bring life to the place and he's come to, to, to play his part. He's come along to give. And there's a principle in there for us. Isn't it? Why do we come to church? Do we come to exalt Christ personally? Are we waiting for somebody else to do that for us? Are we coming to exalt Christ in the way we respond and listen to God, his word, and have hungry ears? Weird to have hungry ears, isn't it? But hungry, hungry ears, hungry hearts, hungry souls. Can't wait for this time that we spend in God's word this week for what's he going to say to me and coming to give to other people sharing what we what our testimony maybe it's praying with people doing whatever but coming to share the grace that God has given to us to dispense that as well and so they asked him to speak and he was ready I wonder if you're ready. We used to have, there was an evangelist that used to go around years ago. His name was Duncan Layton. I don't know if any of you ever heard of him. It was a long time ago. He lived up in up in somewhere near Chorley, but somehow or other, our church got to know him and he came and did it. And we sort of enrolled, a couple of us enrolled in his team and went round. and he had what we used to be called the Ready for Anything Club for us kids, you see, going with him. And the idea was we'd all sit there and he didn't, we didn't know who he was going to call on in the evening to come and do something. It could be anything. Usually to give you testimony though. And so he would just be, just be sitting there and your stomach would be going, are you ready for anything? Come and tell us about this. And you just have to be ready to give a word for Jesus. Tremendous training. Because I came to church and it was always exciting and I never fell asleep. Because I had to be awake if he called you, you see, in that sense called you. And Jesus was ready to share. Are we ready to share our testimony? Are we really ready to give that? And he comes preaching, doesn't he? Mark 1, chapter 14 and 15 says that. Jesus came ready to share what his, his father, his whole ministry was to share the word that God had given him. And not just a, a stories or anything else, but the God's authoritative word. And that should be how we are as well, isn't it? Jesus comes preaching. And what was his message? Jesus, we've seen Jesus coming as the preacher. What was the preacher's message that he came, he, he read on that, that Saturday? keep saying Sunday. That's Saturday as they gathered in the synagogue there. Jesus followed and he respected their tradition. He took the scroll as he would have done always. It's part of his tradition. And he respected what they did and his family and he came and just joined in. But what he read was transformative, wasn't it? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Isaiah the prophet, 61. Because he have anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you can imagine, as he said, those kind of personal pronouns, he appointed me to be good news. It was a kind of strength to that. The next bit they weren't really expecting to hear. But Jesus was preaching the good news of the gospel. He was saying, this is a new day. Let's get excited because this is a new day and it's only new because of me, as he will say in a moment or two. The context of the passage, of course, is the year of Jubilee that the Jews would have had every 50 years, 50th year. There would be forgiveness, there would be celebration, there would be freedom, slaves could go uh, leave their uh, masters and go back home, there would be, uh, land would be sold back to its previous owners and all of this kind of uh, just sense of jubilee that's why they called it jubilee everything was going back to the beginning a new start a new beginning a new day a new dawn a new sunrise everything was wonderful they couldn't wait for the year of jubilee could they and they would all know that and you can imagine that would be one and this prophecy that isaiah is giving here is that there's going to come a day in the future when it'll be like the year of jubilee and it's going to be amazing how God will revisit his people and, they will be, you know, uh, and the good towers will come again to Israel as they would interpret it and all these different things are going to happen. Uh, prisoners being set free, sight to the blind and all of these wonderful things. And they couldn't wait for that day. And you can imagine every, uh, you know, every you know, Sabbath, somebody would get up and read that and they'd all go a bit dewy-eyed as they thought about what was coming. It's going to be great. It's wonderful. This is, what, this is the God we worship. Perhaps... It's all re- you can read it all about it in Leviticus 25, but it's there. Just reading from the Old Testament about what God's going to do—a year of grace. It's good news to the poor, those who know that they're poor, those who reckon themselves spiritually poor. Poor, blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said, didn't He, in the um, in the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. And so He's saying, you know, it, this is this is good news. I've come to bring you good news and as they're reading it many a, a, a rabbi or, or somebody would have read it on the uh, on the sabbath many times before maybe in a more dry way but Jesus is bringing life to this word I have come to bring good news to the poor who reckon themselves poor you don't need to be poor in spirit anymore because I've come freedom to the prisoners those who are in captivity and know they're in captivity, slaves to their sinful rejection of God and life and the world and everything that's in it, dragging them all over the place, slaves to it like we all are, aren't we? Hungry and thirsty thirsty for better and for more. I've come to release the captives. Great news. Suffering the effects of the fall? Well, I've come to reverse the effects of the fall. I've come to set the prisoner free. This message is what he's saying this day. I've come that that Jesus, myself, the the saviour, the son of God from heaven, the Messiah, will set people free. Recovery of sight to the blind. He's talking about spiritual blindness, of course. Although he did heal people and bring sight to them. But here it's talking about that spiritual blindness. Those who've lost sight of God. Those who are blinded by the God of this world. I've come to recover. So you can have your sight recovered. So you can see again clearly who you are, who God is and what the world's like and how God is the big story of what God is doing in this world. And he's also come to bring to release the oppressed, oppressed by the consequences of their not obeying God, of rejecting God's good design. He's come to release us. He's come to release them. It's the dawning of Jesus' new kingdom where he will be the new king what a new day that is and folks I have to ask myself today do we still think that's as good a news as they should have heard that day is it really that good news for us as well reversing the effects of the poor fall the brokenness of sin is mended devastated lives will be renewed this is good news isn't it it's a message we should be sharing with the world and as Paul says confidently I'm not ashamed of this gospel this is good news We've heard it loads of times before. Problem for us as Christians is it, you know, we've heard it so many times, sometimes we kind of, yeah, it's great, but we need to be understandably excited by this news. And he says, Jesus then, today, all of this that you've been looking forward to, that you think is in the future, today, this is being fulfilled right here in your hearing. And we could even say that today, couldn't we? Not because of me, but because God is at work. Today in his world. And God is releasing captives. is setting prisoners free. And he's opened up the eyes of the blind. To see him in all his glory. And he's releasing people from the the effects of the fall in their lives. And he's he's giving people new life. Today. This is being fulfilled in our hearing maybe. Around the world there will be people preaching today. People will be saved. Praise God. It's wonderful isn't it? God's word is still being fulfilled. The good news and it's good news. And it's for today. It's for tomorrow. And every other day into the future until Jesus comes. But it's good news. So the question, as I said, is it, is it that good for us? Do we really understand how wonderful it is? Does your heart thrill about this good news as Jesus preaches it to us even this evening? Jesus came preaching this message. Constantly. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The preacher and his message. But unfortunately, we see the third t- uh, title this, uh, heading this evening is Jesus is preaching, Jesus' is message of the good news. But unfortunately, Jesus is rejected. We see them reject. At first, of course, all spoke well of him. This is our boy. He speaks well, doesn't he? He handles the word really well. See what they say. He's, he's got something about him. This lad, he's really good, and they're judging him from that point of view before they understand it. He's one of our own, or really, is he? Jesus could have left it at that point where they were all speaking well of him. But Jesus goes on to, as any good preacher should, to apply the words. okay? But of course, Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, comes and applies it in a ruthless way, in a direct way, right to their hearts. Because he knew what they would be thinking. He knew that a prophet wouldn't be welcome in his hometown. And he said, you're probably gonna say to me, physician, heal yourself. What you wanna see is me to do some of the things that I've done elsewhere. And so he says to them, today, it's fulfilled. And, uh, and slowly but surely, they start, it starts to dawn on them. Is, is this Joseph's son? Is this, is this Jesus who's Mary's lad? Is, is he allowed to say things like that? What's he, what's he really saying here? I don't think they quite understood what he was saying at first, that he, you know, he, I'm the Messiah, I am the one who this is prophesying, therefore he's the... Jesus, Mary's lad? Joseph's lad? Is that them? Is it really, did he really just say that? Is that all he is? See, they'll accept him, and they were willing to accept him as a good rabbi, a representative of them, one of our own, if you like, who's done well. A great teacher with a really nice and good message, preaching what we want to hear. The good times are coming. God's going to set us all free. Isn't it wonderful? But Jesus comes and transforms that and says, no, this is all about me, and it's all in me. There's nowhere else you need to look. You look at me, and so he becomes. He needs to be their Lord, if you like, He's not just a good rabbi or a good teacher, but he's their Lord, isn't he? He's their master. He is the Messiah. And then he really gets them because he gives two examples of how they should be really receiving this word that he gives them. And those two examples are both Gentile examples. It couldn't be worse. So Jesus ramping up their kind of you know offense list if you like He's been not only is he kind of saying this is about me so they're already a little bit disturbed but maybe they're not quite there yet but then he says listen you should be receiving this because God only went to two but listen 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 what God says to uh, these Gentile sinners how should we receive it first of all like a widow in Zarephath remember her <sighs> or oh, intake of breath what's he going to say about this Elijah goes and God came to this person who's a Gentile and God breaks into this Gentile widow's life and she gives, uh, as she gives him her last, the last drop of everything that she had, God breaks in to her life. That's how you receive this good news. Giving God everything that you have, but she was a Gentile. (gasps) The, The murmurs start to rise. She shows great faith. She gives him her last drop in faith. And then Naaman, Naaman the Syrian. Syrian, we can't have him. Don't even mention that word in here. And they're all getting really het up now. God heals him in his grace. To somebody you regard as a a Gentile dog, if you like. An enemy king. God, their God, has gone to an enemy king. It's hard for us to understand how repulsive that would be to them, really, to be honest. But that's what it was. Incredibly offensive. But the reason God reveals himself and, and heals this man and speaks to this man is because he humbles himself and obeys God's command through his servant. He listens to what God's word was to him and humbled himself. The widow at Zarephath hears what God says through his prophet and gives him everything in faith. She didn't have to, but she did. Faith and humility. And as their noise is getting louder in the congregation, he's not seen an awful lot of that there, is he? And Jesus is rejected through their pride. And they're truly, absolutely astonished. He's just Joseph's son. How dare he speak to us like this? We're fine. We've got no problem. The leaders in that kind of place are furious. Why? Because he's claiming to be the Messiah. They've got no problem with him being Jesus, the lad who's made good from our hometown. That's the kind of Jesus they wanted to meet. A really, another really good rabbi, but somebody who's making their place famous, if you like. Somebody who is, they, can, they can get behind. Somebody who's gonna preach the same message they've heard before, but it's lifeless. And then Jesus comes and says, no, I've changed all of that. He's just spoken to them from Isaiah the prophet about the year of Jubilee. They completely missed the point of the whole of what that prophecy is about. It's about him. And it's amazing. some people say, don't they? if only Jesus would come and stand right in front of us, we'd believe there was plenty of people in Jesus' day who had him stood right in front of them, but they walked away and eventually crucified him. Jesus, don't they what they didn't realize was Jesus has come for lost sinners, like those Gentile people who he's talking about in the Old Testament, for sinners who are not righteous but, or, or, relig- or religious in that sense. But they they were—they 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 like the doctor who needs to come to Jesus, like the doctor who needs to come to sick people. Those people in that day sounded like they believed that they were healthy. They were doing the right thing, and this is their boy. But they didn't realize just how sick they were, and what sort of doctor they needed. Physician, that's why he says, "Physician, heal yourself. Do something to prove it here." And Jesus says, "I know you wouldn't accept this." because you're set in your ways in this way and you're, you're steeped in this kind of religiosity. But you need to look past that and see me. They don't want a Messiah like that, though. They want the Messiah that they can have in their own image, if you like. They want to recreate the Jesus that they want or the Messiah that they want in their own image. So he represents them. So he's nice like them. So he meets on, uh, on the Sabbath and keeps all the law like them. They don't want a transforming Messiah. They don't want a Jesus who's gonna turn them upside down. Jesus' message is radical, isn't it? And it still is. It was radical to them and it still is today because the world doesn't want the Jesus that we see today either. The the world is happy with the Jesus who's weak and mild and does nice things to people and loves us and all the rest of it. Of course, he does those things. But they don't want the Jesus who's demanding everything that we surrender all like Uh, a, a widow in Zarephath or a Syrian king had to do they don't want to be humble and come before Jesus and bow as we come to this table tonight that's what we'll be doing again that's why we need to keep on doing it remembering that whenever we come to Jesus and receive the good news we have to come in faith in what this represents the cross and what he's done for us and we come in humility as we come and bow and recognize our sin once again That's why it's a great reminder, isn't it? It's a visual reminder of all of that. His kingdom's not about piety or religion, but it's about grace and humility and a generous, generous God who wants to bring us good news. We see it in the faith of a desperate widow. That's how we obtain this good news, isn't it? And the humility and the humble obedience of a a Syrian king of course, the crowd's response there, as we draw towards a close, we need to get rid of Jesus. We've turned from, the, he's not our boy anymore. We need to get shut of him, and they're leading him towards the edge of a cliff to throw him off. I always think that's quite a strange thing, isn't it, really? How the crowds have turned, we've seen that many times, haven't we? You know, how it, it changes, doesn't it? Last The other week we, I was preaching from Acts chapter, uh, the end of the last chapter in Acts, when Paul lands on, on Malta, and the, 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 the people who welcome them there and they build a fire and then Paul gets you know, bitten by the snake and he thinks, Crumbs, he must be a proper criminal if he's survived all that and the gods must be after him. Justice is going to get to him and then he survives it and you think, oh no, he's a god. That's how a crowd can change, isn't it? We see it at the foot of the cross where days before they were kind of, blessed be the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Lord save us. Oh hang on, you're not the Jesus we want. Crucify him crucify that's the world's response to jesus today isn't it he's not the jesus we spot we want that's not the faith that we want to have let's get rid of it let's move it to one side and unfortunately sometimes it's churches' responses to him too i'm not saying here but obviously in some churches that's the case the jesus we want is the jesus of the scriptures is too radical for us so let's get rid of it shall we it's much easier Truth is, they couldn't get rid of him, could they? Because he triumphed in all his humanity. But somehow or other he triumphed. Luke doesn't explain how this happened, but he says he just walked right through the crowd. I'd love to have been there to see that happen. But he walked right through the crowd. I, like, I don't know. I can only make it up in my head, but I have no idea. But there's no hint, no hint of a kind of miracle or anything strange happening here. It's as though Jesus, in all his authority, as he walked towards that crowd, he can almost imagine him quieting him down and parting and letting him go through because of who he was. It's a bit like when he was arrested in the garden, John recalls for us. And they come, the soldiers and everyone come. Are you the one? Are you the one who, is the, the, you know, who claims to be the Messiah? Are you this, this Jesus? Yes. He says, I am, and they all fell backwards. The power of Christ. The authority, Jesus, and Luke's picture all the way through his gospel is of a Jesus who is in complete control of everything. That's why he's good news, because all this world is one one day gonna be put under his feet. They're not in control, we're not in control, he is. He's sovereign and he rules. All our trials, all our tests, everything that we have come under that sort of auspices of his rule as well. And he rules in all of it and all of it's for a purpose. But we can only know that if we receive the good news that he brings us tonight again. The good news of his death and his resurrection as we come to the table in a moment or two. The good news that he's forgiven us of our sins. He's freed us from our captivity. He's opened our eyes so we can see. Never, ever be, uh, take that for granted. The world's been blinded by Satan, and Jesus has cured. If you're a Christian tonight, he's cured you of your blindness. You wouldn't see this without him, but you see it and rejoice in it because of him, because of his grace. So Jesus, the preacher, Jesus' message to the good news Unfortunately, Jesus rejected here. So how can we really finally apply this to us and some questions to finish with, really? Are we hungry to hear what God has to say to us? Got hungry ears, hungry hearts, hungry eyes, hungry soul. Are we happy to be consumers in church and in God's kingdom, consuming everything there is, maybe critiquing it occasionally, Or are we coming to do as Jesus did, come and be a part of it, to give and to to be and speak good news to the congregation that we belong to? Have we come to give? Will we respond to what Jesus says to us through his word, the good news, by seeking to do what he did and make disciples? What about this message? Have we received the good news? Maybe there's somebody here tonight who has never received it and has been on the edge of it all, but you need to come humbly and you need to come in obedience, but you also need to come in faith for what God has done for you to take away your sin and to free you. And that's the good news that's on offer tonight, even again. We're still in prison, blind, oppressed. Are we joyful if we're Christians tonight, which I guess most of us are? does it really thrill our hearts? And are we amazed still at his wonderful grace? Are we amazed at the fact that he opened my eyes so I can see? Are we amazed at what he's done for us through his word? Are we amazed that we're set free for eternity? Are we amazed that we've got out with a hope that the world doesn't have, that we've got solid ground to stand on in a shaky foundational world with no kind of foundation at all? Have we, have we not got a story to tell to the nations? Or maybe not to the nations, but to your workmates or your colleagues or your family or your friends. We have, haven't we? It's good news. So are we ready to walk with Jesus in this way? Jesus ready to receive his word. Ready to apply it to our lives. Apply what we've heard in the light, especially in those dark places. So that Christ may be glorified so that his kingdom may be established and he would receive the reward for his suffering so let's hear God Jesus' word this evening Jesus comes preaching Jesus has a wonderful good news message which is only good news because of him but unfortunately there is an opportunity for us to reject that so we need to be careful don't we we embrace it with all the faith that we can with all of the humility that God brings us to as we come to our knees and again as we come to this table in a moment or two. Let's pray together, shall we, as we finish. Lord, we thank you